Hello everyone, my name is Sherry Rice and I'm CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Our goal is to bring you informative speakers from the healthcare industry to give you information that can help you make your healthcare decisions. Today we are talking about oral health for children and adults. My guests are Dr. Max Kopas, Physician-in-Chief, renowned Children's Hospital and Chair of Pediatrics at University of Reno Medical School, and Dr. Gilbert Trujillo, Chief of Pediatric Dentistry at UNR Medical School, and he's been in private practice dentistry for over 20 years here locally. Welcome. Well, thanks for having us. Yes. Yeah, thank is, you. This is an important topic. I know that. It's not one that people talk about uh, very often, uh, not one that people are really educated on. Why do you think it is that even though teeth have such a great deal to do with our health, we put it secondary to our health? Dr. Trujillo? You know, I think it starts early when you have a child, you know, you have your first baby, and the focus is, you know, let's get him into a pediatrician. That's the first thing. And parents, you know, and I I have two daughters, so you're overwhelmed because there's no manual, you know, to tell you anything. And so you establish with the pediatrician, you know, pediatrician, and then you kind of just forget about it, you know. And if if the practitioners aren't talking about dental, it just kind of is on the back burner. And then with kids, the other completely mistaken thing that happens is that they think, well, they're baby teeth; they're just going to fall out, and. There's a lot of reasons that's not true. There is a point where they do naturally fall out, but a lot of times it's they're rotting out. So there's a big difference. So the goal is to always educate parents uh, about the need to see a child by the age of one, uh, which in turn means we have to educate all the physicians who come in contact with the children before the age of one so parents it's on their radar it's one of their things that they have to you know put on their tickle list or whatever well i, I very much agree with but so dr Trujillo, as he's talking i think you know it really resonates because you're right they come to pediatricians and then in pediatrics when we think about teeth we think oh you know that's the that's the that's a, a dentist that needs right. needs to do that. So I, I would agree. We we've not really been trained as much as we should be to until a kid actually sees a dentist to kind of take that into account. But we've we've done so much with say take the seatbelts. We all put our seatbelts on mm-hmm. prenatal. Uh, most know that they need to get a pediatrician. Are we looking to make it as routine as we do with getting a pediatrician during prenatal to get a dentist during prenatal? We we should. We should. Uh, Well, Mm -hmm. either a dentist or, you know, if it's not realistic, then the pediatricians need to really be aware of the fact that teeth are part of the general health and well-being of kids. And, in fact, they are because decay of teeth is the most common chronic disease in children, but not at age one, of course. It's at age, you know, 15, 16. So a greater awareness in the pediatric community to for the general pediatricians and the family docs who are seeing kids to kind of think, okay, well, the, I need to ask about the teeth as well, I think is vitally important. And for pediatricians to be in connection with dentists and pediatric dentists to know when they have a question, don't wait until things get better by themselves. Give a phone call. Just ask, you know, can you see that kid? Because I don't trust it. We are not used to it. It, it is it is starting to come now, but that's not the way we've been trained. Well, let me ask you, Dr. Trio, what pediatric dentist, uh, what does that mean? Uh, so they're a dentist and then they take extra right. residency? It, exactly. We, uh, typical dentist goes four years to dental school and then applies to residency programs, which are typically either hospital-based or hospital-school-based. I personally went to Texas A&M Baylor, which is hospital-based, but also through uh, Baylor Dental School as well. So I trained where there was multiple hospitals, including Texas Scottish Rite, which has pretty much every syndrome you're ever going to see, every special needs you're ever going to see. And then we also worked at just some Medicaid clinics where we saw tons of, you know, 
non-involved uh, kids. So we get a lot more training for two extra years, sometimes three extra years if you want to do a master's. Um, so it is very child-specific, and it runs a gamut. And, you know, the thing is, baby teeth are quite different than adult teeth. Um, they're a lot wimpier. <laughs> they don't withstand, like, the abuse that adult teeth get. So it, it doesn't take long for a baby tooth to start causing pain and infection uh, if you let them go. Well, Dr. Max, you said a few minutes ago that it is one of the uh, largest issues for children in chronic disease. Let's talk for a minute about that. What do you mean by chronic disease uh, in children that's caused by dental problems? So chronic disease, you know, you can think about asthma, uh, diabetes. Those are uh, chronic disease means something, something that's ongoing, that starts somewhere, it's not being addressed, and it keeps impacting your health and well-being. So, you know, there's the, the simple... Um, uh, rotting of teeth, smelling bad, not wanting to smile. But in the end, our mouth is uh, an ocean of bugs. And if the wrong bugs start to grow, you actually get infections. And the infections can go can go locally in your mouth or in your um, in the bones of your face. But they can spread from there. And you've got this kind of chronic seeping of the wrong kind of bacteria that are growing in these rotting teeth getting into into your blood and 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 into your body and and so it be, it really becomes a chronic kind of simmering it, it's not this acute oh my tooth hurts it's it, it's underlying the health and well-being of kids and and affects other health status uh parts of a kid well let's dissect this a little bit um most of us Many people think that the teeth fall out and you don't have to worry about the baby teeth. So let's talk a little bit about the baby teeth on why it's important and how that, what that leads to when they have their permanent teeth. So, you know, the timeline is you start getting your baby teeth, say, about nine months, some kids earlier, some kids later, and you get 20 teeth by about the age of two. So that's roughly the timeline. Uh, starting about age six, you start losing the bottom front teeth. And between that and eight, you lose the four bottoms and the four top front teeth. However, from the canines, which are the big, you know, the big uh, vampire teeth, the kids like to call them, uh, those you lose around age 12. I have some patients that are 14 and still have some baby teeth. So the problem is, you know, if you're losing the front teeth at around age seven to eight, and you have what we call early childhood caries, which is used to be called baby bottle rot. That's happening around one to two years old. Those kids still have four more years before those even start to even right. think coming out. So the problem is those are an underlying chronic condition that start out slow. You start getting little holes in the teeth, probably not causing any pain. Then they get bigger, little bigger. And sometimes kids, I, I ask parents when you're seeing, I wish we could show pictures here because every day I'm seeing completely what we call bombed out mouths. And the kids, they'll, you know, sometimes they'll come in with excruciating pain, but a lot of times these little kids, if you think about it, they don't know the difference. What norm is. They don't what, know what norm is. Right. There's no baseline norm. So they're growing up thinking that their mouths kind of hurt all the time. And it's not until it's really acute when it's not like falling down and breaking your arm. Ow, that hurts. It just happened. No, this is a slow process. And I've had several kids uh, or parents tell me after we've done a surgery on the child and got them back to a good, healthy baseline, oh my God, he, he's eating better, he's smiling, he's happier. He's Because if you think about it, and I don't know if you've ever had a toothache, I have, it, it's brutal. You cannot get away from it. And so these kids have this maybe a medium pain, maybe on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe a 5 or 6 sometimes, but they don't know any different. They, they just think it's normal, and uh, that's the problem. And a lot of parents don't try to access care until there's pain. Well, what causes cavities at such a young age? 
What what is what is happening that we have so many children with cavities, whether they're discovered or not? Um, okay, I hope you have five hours. No, <laughs> uh, it's it's basically pretty simple. We have like Dr. Max was saying, normal uh, bacterial flora in the mouth. That's normal. We all have bacteria. It's good for us. Uh, the, the number one reason I think dental caries is so prevalent, and, you know, there's fluorides, there's all kinds of stuff, but the real reason is is basically simple carbohydrates. Diet. It's the diet. It's basically we're a carb society now, and we're a snacking Sugar. society. Sugar. So, you know, I'm 63 years old. When I grew up, I really don't remember even the word snack. We kind of ate breakfast, lunch, well, and dinner. Apple. Yeah, yeah, we we had <laughs> that was our snack. No, but it was fruit. Yeah, yeah. That was our snack. We didn't really. I don't know. I just don't remember my mom pulling out all kinds of elaborate yogurt covered right. raisins. Right. And, the, and then the problem is, is most parents, especially now, they've been raised snacking, mm-hmm. so they don't understand either. So the problem is. You know, I remember when my girls were born and we go to play dates and these moms would bring out these elaborate cases of different snacks and they were all carbohydrates. Uh-huh. And I'd be thinking, oh boy, you know, here goes. Yeah. But Gilbert, you might want to explain why, so so why is the carbohydrate, because okay. that's, well, yeah. when, when you and I talk about it, it's fascinating to hear to hear what the carbohydrates actually do in, in our minds. Right. So basically your body can... You know, we have proteins, fats, carbohydrates, and within the carbohydrates, they're simple and complex. Mm-hmm. Complex would be more like celery or something with a lot of fibers in them. Uh, the simple carbohydrates, if you've ever taken some kind of biology or anything, they break down into simple sugars. So you can take, I'll say, a cracker, or you can use yogurt, or whatever, milk. Anything with a sugar component will eventually break down into simple sugar. So that's all the simple carbohydrates, and there are tons of them. And if you really think about it, they're the same. They're mostly snack foods. So it's really hard to get a cavity if you're eating, say, meat, you know, cheese, eggs, vegetables, and drinking water. It's pretty hard. You... You almost wouldn't have to brush your teeth in floss. <laughs> I'm not going to totally go on that thing, but you almost don't have to if that's what you're eating. Mm-hmm. It's the other foods, the processed foods, or too much milk with lactose in it. So the bacteria love that stuff, and it's like pouring gasoline onto a fire. They congregate wherever those simple carbs are, which is usually in the nooks and crannies of the teeth, between the teeth, because, you know, a lot of people don't floss, so they're not cleaning that out. And they're just providing food. So I always tell my patients, every time you eat a carb, the bacteria are eating that carb. But but isn't it right that the bacteria then transfer use that carb Mm-hmm. And transform it in acid, right? A fermentable and, carbohydrate, yes. And I that's per- and that's what the so so they yeah. love the carbs and they think okay, here you go, and then you get this acid, acid. formation, right? I tell my kids so when the bacteria eat the carbs and they go potty, they're secreting acid. So acid is ultimately the culprit. Yeah. And then when you think of a lot of carbohydrates, like say. Uh, we have a lot of teenage kids doing Gatorades. Well, there's a lot of acid put in the bottles plus mm-hmm. the sugar. So now they're getting a double dose. That's why Coca-Cola is so bad. But even mm-hmm. orange juice and a lot of the juices have yeah. a lot of acid. So it all boils down to carbs, acid. So, Gilbert, what about Diet Coke? Uh, you know, there's still a lot I'm of... just asking. <laughs> I know. I know what is going to come, right? There's still a lot of acid. Absolutely. I, I was asked to write an article on healthy summer drinks, and I said, man, this can be a short it's one. Water. And, and I said it, and they said, no, there's other healthy drinks. And I said, not really. If you really think about it, maybe black coffee, but kids aren't going to drink that. Uh, tea, you know, uh, maybe if you put a little fruit in water, like, you know, the fruit infused waters something like that but for the most part water is healthy and i tell my parents use milk as nutrition not as a thirst quencher right so if you're going to give your kid milk let them have it as a you know during the meal then what about take almond milk uh it's still a lot of carbs still in them. A lot of, yeah you gotta yeah. read your labels yeah and well, go ahead and uh, sorry i get on this no no, no i just so, fascinating i've got a lot of questions as uh 
chief of pediatric dentistry now, I, you know, because Dr. Max is brilliant, he, we have the third-year medical students rotating now through my office as part of one of their rotations. And a lot of them have picked up on the fact that everything I'm talking about also causes diabetes. Yes. So when you yes. start talking about feeding our kids all these yep. cool things that say healthy and nutritious and, you, you know, the, the majority of the stores are carbs. If you really took those out of those aisles, there's pretty much nothing left. That's um, the same thing that causes diabetes. So then, you know, and obesity. Right. And, you know, I tell parents, obviously this stuff can't be that great for us if you're really looking at it. Um, and I'm going to go back to my grandmother who said everything in moderation, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So I I think we have to be very careful that we don't ban everything. Exactly. We we just, uh, there was not the realization of the harm that it was on. It was actually very uh, funny. I was, uh, um, uh, involved in writing a book on, uh, on oral health and as I was reviewing a chapter, I was drinking a Diet Coke. I just, I didn't th- <laughs> and then I get to this paragraph where it actually describes uh, within a half hour of Diet Coke how your, your pH, which is a measure of <laughs> yeah. acid, goes yeah. down. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm writing this. I'm, I'm not writing. I'm re- editing this uh, this chapter. And it's, I think for a lot of us, it's a realization because it has to hit you at the right moment for you to think, oh, that's what it is. So in be- so I don't have snacks, but in between, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, well, you, I have a Diet Coke. But you but go back to your grandmother. They didn't have processed foods. No. I mean, no. they didn't have what we have now. No. And no. when you try hard to stay in the outer aisles of a grocery store, outer exactly. aisles, yeah. fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. meats, a little bit of dairy, don't go in the inner aisles. Yeah. But even the inner the inner aisles are getting to the outer aisles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that I've yeah. noticed. But let me go back to the few things we talked about a little bit earlier about pediatricians and having the knowledge. What about OBGYNs and talking to a woman? Again, I go back to prenatal and talking to them and visiting with a pediatric dent- dentist. Is that feasible, Dr. Max? So before... So I thank you for the plug because before talking about that, I actually want to just go f- to, for the medical students. So f- yeah. not even pediatricians or OBGYN, but until two or three months ago, people that are trained here in Reno to become a, a doctor, go to UNR Med, did not have an exposure to dentistry. And that in and by itself, actually, mm-hmm. as, I, as I thought about it, I mean, we met, uh, you know, Gilbert and I met, and I thought, you know, He's so enthusiastic. Let's let's get him in. My own medical, you know, this is many years ago. I didn't. I never went to a, a dentist as part of my medical school. So, part of the lack of knowledge for pediatricians and 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 doctors in general is that it's a different specialty. Dentistry is not part of the medical school. Some schools actually in the United States are combined, so you have a a, a, a medical school and dentist dental school together. But most of them are separate, so no wonder there's a limited knowledge with the physicians about what is healthy uh, in terms of dental care, other than your own dentist telling you, you know, whatever it is. So I'm actually really excited that that Gilbert was willing to take on the challenge and became a division chief. And now, and you're right, these students come back mm-hmm. and they're completely in awe. Uh, and, and Gilbert makes sure that it, they're not just in awe, but they actually learn something right. that they will take with them. So, right. so that's one. Two, after having experienced this, we're now looking at uh, whether we can get a residency. So whether in Reno we can train physicians to, to become pediatricians. In the back of my mind, I've already committed that part of the training will be to go to a pediatric dentist. Mm-hmm. I'm not aware, and maybe it exists, but I'm not aware of medical schools where part of your training for to become a pediatrician is actually to go to medical school. So I, I will not come back to the OBGYN, but I think... First and foremost, let's make sure that family physicians and pediatricians are intimately aware of what's normal and healthy in the mouth of a child. Mm-hmm. That will help a, a great a deal. OBGYN, yes, absolutely. I think that in the same way that you want to talk to uh, expecting mothers about the importance of vaccinations, the importance of hygiene, the importance of you know uh, making sure that they're seen by a pediatrician to 
measure and test and, and make sure that they uh, meet all the normal developmental uh, hallmarks. I think that you also need to indicate that the mouth of a child and their developing teeth are a vulnerable site for kids. So I, I, I do think that that w would make sense. And that's part of what I'm telling the med students now. I tell them, I'm not trying to teach you how to fill a tooth or extract a tooth. I'm not telling you any of this. What I'm trying to show you is early on, because a lot of uh, the med students want to go into pediatrics that are coming through. And I say, early on, if you tell a parent, uh, say you're an OBGYN, okay, you're going to have your baby. You need to find a pediatrician. And about one year old, you need to find a pediatric dentist. It's got to be in the same conversation. It's kind of like you buy a car right. and they say, okay, right. at 6,000 miles, you got to do this. Right. You almost need like a list, Routine. a to-do list. Mm -hmm. This is part of it. At about one year, you need to get mm -hmm. them into a dentist. I know it sounds weird because sometimes these kids are barely getting in teeth, but it's more to train the parents, if anything. Well, and I'm going to jump in here because he says this as a dentist. So some people that are listening might think, oh, you know, that's easy for him. It's, you know, he's, he's getting, uh, he wants to get some more work. Right. I want to point out. <laughs> no, no, but I, no, I, no, I, I could tell that's what people would think. But, but the, the American Academy of Pediatrics would, has no connection to dentistry actually has the same guideline expectation. A kid should see should have his or her own dentist pediatric dentist by the age of and one do we have enough in washoe county pediatric dentists oh yeah there, the there's do plenty it, i don't think it's so much an access issue uh as like i said earlier you once a kid has pain then there's a mad rush to find a dentist what we're trying to do is prevent right. all of this we right. don't I would rather never have to fill a tooth again in my life. Yep. Uh, it's hard. It's harder than ever. It's expensive. Filling teeth are expensive. You know, a checkup is not that expensive. I mean, in you know, I don't even know what it is, but it's not a whole lot of money. Uh, so if you're preventing things, it's easy and cheap. Well, uh, it. I'm not hearing that it's some sort of neglect issue. It's an education issue yes, for mm -hmm. the Correct. parents. Yes, 100%. We're not saying, I mean, across the board, socioeconomically, you probably see children with uh, dental caries across the board socioeconomically. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like a neglectful issue, or it's not like always, uh, and we're going to get into social determinants in a minute, but it's more like an education. But I can't remember um, ever seeing a real public health campaign on children's dentistry. No, the AAPD, which is the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, which my uh, partner Jade Miller was president of, which is a national thing, um, they try, but I, I just feel like there could be more. And I think you have to collaborate with the medical people because they're coming into contact with the kids before we do. That's the problem. Right. Right. We need to get all on board the same thing because emergency rooms are overrun all the time by kids in dental pain and at that point you know the er's don't really know what to do i mean so then they send them off and i've gotten calls from er's oh so and so came in and i'll tell them what to do tell them to go to my office on tuesday never hear from the parent again so it can become neglectful once there's so much work, like if you've let it go so bad, it's almost like these parents can't even, they, there's no way they can afford some right. of this. It's, it's so out of hand. If every tooth, say, is $500 and you have 12 teeth that are rotting out, that's a lot of money. Yes, it is. And my point is I'd rather see them early and coach them on how to prevent it from the get-go or fill that tooth for a hundred dollars versus five hundred later. So it it is it is a matter of getting them in early. It's not about us making more money. We have plenty of business. Trust me on this one. Uh, it's more about uh, nipping it in the bud before it gets right. out of control. But, but right. you've got a good point. There's not been a national awareness campaign. Mm -hmm. So if you think about mm -hmm. obesity, mm -hmm. I think most people actually are aware so of national, and right. and. I had never thought about it. I yeah. think you're really making a good point is is if it is the most common chronic disorders, mm -hmm. 
uh, why would there not be a, a campaign towards Well, we that? do it with immunizations, yeah. type 2 diabetes. Yeah. We do yeah. it with obesity. We did it with, with seatbelts. Yeah. I mean, we've done it with tons of things. Uh, it would be nice if we put some money into a national campaign that educated a parent to say, by one year old. Mm-hmm. See, it would be as simple as that, by one year old. Well, and, and sometimes you'll see something on the news and, you know, I get up in arms a little bit, but they'll talk about children's health and they're talking to somebody that's not even a dentist. And <laughs> and then they'll say, well, try to brush your child once a day. And I'm sitting there going, no talk about diet. Mm-hmm. not No talking about flossing. Right. And once a day does nothing. You know, my analogy is you get your car detailed, which is brushing and flossing impeccably, and you leave the car wash and you hit a mud puddle. That's your next snack. Your car isn't clean anymore. And same as your teeth. So if parents could kind of, if everybody could get on board, you know, but yeah, pediatric dentistry has just not done a good enough job. I mean, well, and the other thing is we're in schools. So, so I think right. the opportunities, the educational opportunities that we have are pediatricians, family physicians, schools, parents. It it, it, it has to be a combination of, of all of the above. Yeah. And I, I think you're making, you've made a really good point. It's not neglect. It's not people, uh, parents don't get up in the morning kind of think, okay, well, you know, let's make sure that my kid's teeth rough. It's absolute lack of knowledge mm-hmm. and it's not a priority. And I agree with you then, then the one or two times that people talk about this issue, it's about brushing and not a more comprehensive right. approach. Because right. I don't mm-hmm. know, Gilbert, if I would ask you, what's more important to watch what you eat or brush your teeth, which one would you pick? Watch what you eat. Yeah. yeah. See, that's, a, that's yeah. a really interesting... Well, brushing's cosmetic most of the time. I mean, well, to a certain degree. We want we want Everything's about a beautiful smile now. Everything's about bright white teeth. Well, you know, the thing is bacteria create a little biofilm on your teeth, which is plaque. And, and that's what you need to brush off. And, you know, people use, like, rinses. Well, it's kind of like spraying your car with the hose. It's not really clean until you actually, you know, brush it off or wipe it off. So brushing is important. But like I said, you're only as good as the last time you ate a snack or ate something with a carbohydrate in it. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, bottle versus breast. Do you see less caries with a breastfed child? Uh I have a slide presentation, and one of the first things when I show pictures of baby on a breast and using a bottle, and the receptacle is what can't doesn't matter. It's what's in the receptacle. So we see a lot of uh, dental caries from both. And there again, it's to have a cavity, you need frequency. Like how often are you getting this? Uh, duration, how long is it staying on there, and uh, the quality of the carbohydrates. So where we see the problem is, is like nursing or using a bottle on demand, meaning Mm. you'll see a kid, he'll take two sips off the breast or off the bottle, go play or do whatever, um, while they're constantly feeding the bacteria. If if a child is brought more into more of a schedule, like I, I always recommend a book called Baby Wise, which talks about not dental, but it just talks about coaching your kids to be more on a schedule. Well, if you get your kid on a schedule and say, okay, we're going to, she's, your baby's up at eight, we're going to feed her. We're not feeding again till 10. And then you start brushing the teeth, it's a lot easier to get her under control. If the baby's constantly getting some kind of carbohydrate in the mouth, then we see that fast. I mean, we've seen oh, kids. Interesting. When I When I was in Dallas, Texas, I had to pull all 20 teeth on a kid that had just literally turned two. They mm. were completely rotted to the gum line. I mean, how does that happen in how a does year? That happen? In in less than a year. It it was crazy. So it happens fast. So it's it's about education, you know, breast doesn't matter so much, bottle doesn't matter. Milk is healthy for a baby. They need it. They need the fats, they need the proteins. Absolutely. I have no issue with that. But 
you have to kind of decide if I'm going to do it on demand, then I'm going to brush a heck of a lot more than once a day. Interesting. So I, I need to. I, I'll jump here for two things. One is, <laughs> as, as, the, as the physician at Children's Children's Hospital, <laughs> there is a difference. There's a benefit to breastfeeding, and I'm, I'm a huge advocate for that. So it might not make a difference for, for – uh, for you, but but right. you're also talking about older kids, and and when you think about on demand in the first three months, yeah, every mother does it right. differently. Oh, some yeah. some moms do, so I, I think we have to put it into perspective. But um, there's no question that you know once a kid is older, uh, six months, nine months. I would agree that at some point you need, and it, it's not only with eating and drinking, but it's sleeping. It, it's starting to develop right. uh, a routine mm-hmm. that is uh, that is beneficial. Well, let's talk about that word fluoride, because mm-hmm. I've been here in Washoe County for over forty years, and it comes up on the ballot every now and then, oh, yeah. and it never passes here in Washoe County. We have no fluoride in the water. So, uh, yes, fluoride. Uh, when it comes in contact with the enamel, replaces some molecules, so it makes the teeth stronger. Absolutely, that's been shown. Uh, too much fluoride, you can get fluorosis, which in Dallas, Texas, there's a lot of fluorosis because they have a lot of fluoride in the water. Pediatricians give it out like candy, and a lot of people it in Dallas brown have, it's teeth, like yeah. a brown model look. And then they brush the teeth with fluoride toothpaste yeah, so, right so once so you've got it in the water and you do it uh, yeah if too much then becomes an so issue so i being in dallas i actually saw the problem with too much fluoride the funny thing about dallas though so everybody has fluoride there's no issue there tons of rotted teeth tons why so i always say fluoride does not beat carbs carbs it just can't. It, it can strengthen the teeth, and uh-huh. it you know, and it really does help. And so when when I was I, I used to be president of the Nevada Dental Association, and you know, and every two years, are we going to put fluoride on? I don't know. We're all tired. We the, the dental association wanted fluoride in Reno in Washoe County. I, I mean, know we they did. fought yeah, hard, I know. and we put a lot of money into it, and and literally everybody was just tired of doing it because it was like you're poisoning our kids. Right. Well, you can still give your kid fluoride. I mean, even on the little ones, I say, you know what? Twice, twice a week, use your regular fluoridated toothpaste because you know the physical contact is what you need so being that as it may that we don't have fluoride that's what i re- recommend a little bit of fluoride is not going to hurt your kid and what about sealants because i know the dental so let's let's talk about fluoride because I, I so i agree with what gilbert says but I, he, here's one of the issues the need for fluoride in the water helps uh, a large group of our population that has limited access to other resources. So when you talk about health disparities, I think that there's a disproportionate advantage for us as a community, not for the people living in Montreux or or in Arrow Creek. These parents actually have access and it's very easy for them to buy toothpaste that has fluoride and and they all have pediatricians where they go on on a regular basis. But I think the advantage of adding fluoride to the water is to make sure that the population as a whole uh, benefits from that. And um, there's actually a really interesting uh, um, uh, experiment uh, ongoing. Uh, I I moved from uh, Calgary, or I lived in Calgary many years ago, and Calgary is a city in the, in a, uh, in uh, Alberta. And there's only two big cities, Edmonton and Calgary. And they're both they're both, uh, both uh, same size. One of the two cities, about three, four years ago, decided to take the fluoride out of the water. So the whole province had fluoride. One of the two take them off, took it off. And so I just recently saw a study. This is after two to three years where you start seeing the first differences in, in um, oral health between the two cities in the advantage of the city that retained fluoride. So it's a little bit early because you need you, you really need to look at five to 10 years down the road. But there are very few experiments where you kind of say, okay, well, let's look at the oral health of all the kids now, let's add fluoride, see how it is. Or as in this case, 
Let's take it out and see what happens. So I'm I'm academic. I'm I'm research oriented. I I like to have data. And and when you read the literature, uh, there's a, a you know very good studies that that provide evidence as to why it's good. There's also studies that indicate why it isn't as good as you think. But in both studies, you need to keep in mind the socioeconomic status of patients. It is it probably doesn't make a real difference for for people that are well off it makes a huge difference in some of well here in nevada so las vegas has fluoride Mm -hmm. in their water clark the whole clark county has yeah clark county has fluoride so you take head start we know that head start is the educational program for low-income children three and four years old and they did a study on the both the north and the south on this and the north not having fluoride and the oral health of the kids, and it was much worse in Washoe County. Mm-hmm. And it's the same Head Start program and the same where they do get dental care for children um, and the same FPL or poverty level and low income. So they have done a study that says that the fluoride on the water made a difference with that set of children. I don't believe that they've done one overall right, for right. our community. But tell me what a sealant is because, you know, the dental van – um, goes to the schools and does right. sealants. You know, and I do tons of sealants in our office. I absolutely believe them in them if they're done correctly. Because if they're not done correctly, you can have little voids, and actually the foods can get under. In between the sealant and get yeah, stuck there. Yeah, if there's a little void. Because you're, uh. you always got to think microscopically. Bacteria are microscopic, so any kind of residue. So I absolutely believe in sealants. A couple issues, though. Uh, most insurances won't cover sealants on little kids uh, until they get to the permanent teeth, which starts about age six. On the back, you get the six-year molars behind all the baby teeth. So those we absolutely want to seal because you never want to get that first cavity on the permanent tooth. The baby teeth, it's a different issue. First of all, most little kids won't let us put a sealant on their teeth. What, what exactly is a sealant? So what it me? is, it, it's kind of like painting fingernail polish on your hmm. on your fingers. So what we have to do is we have to isolate the tooth which with cotton. Mm-hmm. And we put this little etchant, which is kind of like an acid. And we leave it on about 10 seconds. We rinse it off. And then we put like a bonding agent. And then we flow a sealant, which is basically like an acrylic type of thing that bonds onto the tooth Hmm. really is nice it it basically plugs up all those deep pores in the teeth so if you do eat say the cracker it can't get into those deep grooves which is where most of the cavities start how long is it good for uh you know some kids depend it really depends on what you're eating how well it was put on you know like at my office say i guarantee them three years as long as you're coming to my office i mean i have kids 20 years old i'm still touching up sealants in college Hmm. because we'll just keep touching them up we want them on Uh, a lot of general dentists probably aren't doing sealants like pediatric dentists that's another difference we seem to just do a lot of sealants um we're always monitoring them. So, yes, yeah, so the dental van, I'm glad they're doing them. But the younger population, definitely, I would love to seal every tooth that came in the mouth at, you know, as a molar. But some kids are just aren't going to do it. And then, like I said, insurances aren't going to cover it either. And so what are you doing with the FQHCs? Because that's different from sealing, right? I was sealing, just right? going to bring that up, Max. The what now? The so with the FQHCs. Jose Cucalon, what are you doing with the them? The clinics, both Community Health Alliance and yeah, Health. Yeah, um... I don't know what Community Health Alliance is doing right now because I know they had a change in their dental thing. Yeah, they uh, definitely don't have enough dentists for the low-income population. Yeah, uh, we we try, like I'm president, or uh, sorry, I'm secretary of the Northern Nevada Dental Health Program, and we are one of the ones that do the dental vans. You know, we, that's part of our thing. So we do the dental van. Uh, we also go to schools. We're trying to do uh, give kids a smile to put sealants on. So we're very proactive in trying to get all that done in the community because we believe in it. Fluoride, fluoride varnish. That's what I meant. So yeah. tell, tell us more about the, the varnish because that's something that uh, uh, pediatric offices can do as well. What's wh- How do you... How do you? What is it? One, two is how do you? How does it compare with sealants? Basically, it, it's it's kind of like a 
almost like a tree sap kind of thing that you put it's fluoride and you paint it on and it it really adheres to the teeth for quite a while uh and really strengthens the tooth in that short period it's on then it kind of just wears off uh highly effective i mean how long does varnish last probably three months six months well actually on the teeth the resin part comes off after a few hours but the actual fluoride gets into the teeth mm-hmm. um, you know as you're brushing your teeth the enamel kind of slowly loses the fluoride so that's why you need like every six months so you of, can do that at any age oh yeah adults too i think i personally think adults should just buy some act rinse or something and rinse twice a week with it i think it, you're not going to hurt yourself and you know i advise a lot of my patients you know once a child can spit Get them on some actrins oh, just twice, just twice a week, just over the counter. But yeah. we've talked about this, yeah. uh, Gil. But we've talked to implement this in some of our high risk uh, office pediatric offices yeah, uh, with Jose, Jose Cucalon. Jose, yeah, yeah. He's he's wanting to do the uh, the fluoride varnish, and that's really good. Then you get into some problems, though. Is is, is see, it's so insurance driven. Like if you if you have if you put a fluoride varnish on a kid and then the dentist they go to a dentist and then he puts it on then there's a billing issue i mean i i just wish those kind of things could just be you know it's cheap i wish people could just varnish your kids up in the you know the higher the or the populations that have the higher risk i mean mm-hmm. there's no doubt fluoride varnish helps no doubt but so does act rinse i mean you know you don't need a lot. It's not like you're doing it every day. Just what, right. how old do you have to be to to take that? You know, if it, it's basically we just don't want a kid swallowing a. So as long of as they can yeah. swash and yeah. spit, spit. Yeah, okay. I always say, hey, does your three year old spit? If I start seeing a higher risk, I say just do it twice. You know, brush and floss really good at night, yeah. and right before, right after that, rinse with it, spit it, and go to bed. Now it's sitting on the teeth all night which is kind of what you want and it's it's a low risk it's nothing you know i actually like it better than giving a kid the tablets or the the drops well that's fascinating there you have a very simple educational thing that most people don't know yeah right super simple. they can walk right into walmart and get an act and they you know yeah. that rinse and as long as their child doesn't drink it then you mm-hmm. know they're they're good and they're helping their child and yeah. we have we have other fluorides. Like if I start seeing what we call incipient decay, like which kind of you know you see a tooth with this beautiful enamel, and then all of a sudden you see this rough kind of pseudo white, usually at the gum line. That's where it's starting. You can you, we know what it looks like. So what I'll we'll give some a uh, little like a pedi- pediatric type of fluoride, and we'll tell the parents, okay, I want you to brush their teeth really good at the gum line. Then I want you to take a tiny bit of this stuff, almost where you don't see it. And I want you to smear it in right at the gum lines and on the backside. And now the kid is getting fluoride where it needs to remineralize. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get it strong so it can't proceed anymore. So segue here, a little little segue, because I've never uh, asked this of a dentist. Why do you think people hate dentists so much? (laughs) Can I answer? And I don't think it's personal. I don't think it's personal to the dentist. They hate the dentist. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy. But it, they don't hate doctors that way, you know, physicians. They hate the dentist. Is it what what's up with that? And how how does that affect a dentist? I mean, you know, you Well, you know, it's funny because being a pediatric dentist, okay, you're talking to a guy who has a mouthful of crowns and now I'm starting to get implants. I did every you know, so I'm not on my high horse when I'm talking about Oh. Okay. Dental decay. Okay. When I was a kid, I used to tease my mom, God rest her soul. Man, you must have let me have fun. Carbs, I, yeah. I have no clue what happened to my teeth because they were just, it's its bad. It's, uh-huh. it's crazy. How was your experience with your dentist when you were a kid? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, so mine as well. So I think, yeah. I think in the old days, we're yeah. both just over 60. In the old days, that was not a pleasant experience. No, you. I would say now, so I've started to, I, in the last probably 15, 20 years, I've started going to a dentist without any concerns at all. Mm-hmm. But before that, the, mm-hmm. my experience as a kid was n- not a pleasant one. So you get kids coming to my office and the ones where the parents are really listening and taking it to heart, we never have to do anything. 
we don't have to fix anything. They come every six months. They watch our movies. They get a toy. They get stickers. They're all happy. It's all kumbaya. Where the problem is, is when you get the kids who have lots of dental issues. Oh, yeah. And... And now they're like, every time they're like, every time I come in here, we have cavities or, you know, and you have to, the little ones you have to take to the hospital to fix them. Uh, I do sedations. A lot of dentists don't do sedations. They don't have the license or the training, but I do little light sedations where we give them a little Versed or something like that. Takes the edge off. And a lot of times we can fix everything without Gee, my dentist doesn't give me a little light Versed. Yeah, well, (laughs) you know, you need to whine more. But uh, I, obviously, I need to come to a pediatric dentist. Yeah, we try to make it as positive as possible. But if you if you sat in the office all day, all you're going to hear is prevention all day long. Whether somebody wants to listen or not, is it you know right? And and right. implement. It's like you know you can't see me. I'm probably six five. What 175 pounds? No, no, I'm overweight. <laughs> and my doctor every time I go in, he goes. Dude, you need to lose some weight. Okay, same thing. I was going to say, it's the same thing with obesity. You need to floss. You need to floss. You need to watch what you're eating. You know, it's funny, though. We see kids who started out eating tons of whatever, and as they get older, they they just don't change those habits. It's, It's hard. It's hard to change habits. Let's talk about social determinants a little bit. Let's talk about um, some of the disparities. Um, Cost. And you brought it up a few minutes ago. With even in with employer insurance, mm-hmm. uh, you may get health care insurance, but you don't get dental insurance. Right. And if you pay for dental insurance, and there's a copay that can be very mm-hmm. high, um, that's part I think of the disparity. Don't you think so, Doctor Max? It's absolutely. And and then the, the reality in pediatrics is that over fifty percent, probably fifty five, sixty percent of the kids are Medicaid. It starts right there, and and mm-hmm. and the adult people in healthcare uh, always talk about Medicare or talk about you know private health insurance. The real wherever I've worked in the United States, when you work in children's hospital with children, over fifty percent, and and in some places like I was in Washington D.C., it's eighty percent is Medicaid, and yeah, that's a financial hardship right there. You're from Canada. Originally from the Netherlands, but I lived in Canada for a long time, and, and then I've lived it, several times in in the U.S. I was in Cleveland at the Cleveland Clinic in Washington D.C. And, and in here. Canada, does everyone get dental care for yes. free? Yeah, and in the Netherlands, it's the same thing. Well, it's not for free. Um, you actually, it's called pay taxes, right? Uh-huh, so it's uh-huh. how do you use taxes that yeah, they can levy? You, what's the word free? Yeah, right. Got it's it. it, nothing Got it. is free, but right. as a society. Uh, that's how you uh, invest some of the taxes that you bring up. Right. Um, so are, is oral health better in Canada or the Netherlands where uh, access is easier? I would say um, I would say that in uh, f- that there are health disparities virtually does not exist in those countries because of the um, uh, the availability to get the payments. Mm-hmm. The, the issues that Gilbert indicates are not related to health disparities. In fact, you'll find them in, in, in people that are, are um, you know, I've had some more training, the, the snacks and what have you. So, so because the biggest problem of oral hygiene is carbohydrates, that's the same problem in those countries. Right. Uh, they do have much better access. So I think if I would have to guess... I don't know what studies have done, but I would have, if I would have to guess, the number of kids that need complete removal of all the teeth and all the things that Gilbert is seeing, I, I would think that you see that less frequently in the Netherlands or in Canada. But you will see uh, dental decay. You will see some of these chronic problems. It just it doesn't get that far mm-hmm. because the uh, these people have these kids have access to uh, better health care, dental health care, much faster than here. And do you know another country where they've done the public health on see a dentist by a year old? Do we have an example of another country that is doing now what you would like to have done here? If I'm honest, so I I think the answer is no, but if I'm honest, I don't think that neither in the Netherlands, by the way, the Netherlands and Canada all have fluoride in in their water system. Mm -hmm. But I don't think uh, that in those countries 
uh, kids see a dentist, pediatric dentist, by the age of one? I don't think mm-hmm. so. I don't think so. I think the United States is it's been a big push, but not big enough. It's just not resonating. It's mm-hmm. not resonating with people. Because mm-hmm. uh, really that, I wouldn't say solves everything, but it really would help if before those teeth came in or right as they're just coming through the gums, mm-hmm. people saw a dentist. Because then we have a chance to talk to them, describe what's going to happen, what we need to do, what they need to do. And I think you'd have a lot better outcomes. Well, the the disparities that we, at least what I read in the book, um, Dr. Max, cost, cultural issues, access, and priority. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what that's what I read. It, Pretty it, much nails yeah. it all. That it's not a priority due to lack of education. Uh, access is maybe not available. I know here in Reno, if you're going to one of the FQHCs, uh, they don't have enough dentists. I mm-hmm. don't know if they have a pediatric dentist at either one of our uh, FQHCs. I don't, th- I don't think they do. Uh, cultural issues. Are there cultural issues that you think pertain to dentistry, other than the fact that we're all terrified of you? No, well, you know, I'm Hispanic. Um, we see a lot of decay in the Hispanic populations, Filipino populations, um, just a lot of things. Cultural, you know, I've had a couple moms where they say, oh, we put honey on the pacifier. Like, wow, you know, think about that. Uh, a lot of them grew up with a lot of dental decay. A lot of them have silver teeth even as an adult. Uh, it's just kind of, it's not a priority, and it's part of their culture. They, it's like, uh, we just, we love our kids so much. We're going to give them whatever they want to eat anytime they want to eat it. One of my best friends is from uh, Qualtemo, Mexico, and I go in his house, and I just cringe. I'm like, ah, and all these <laughs> chips, and, and it's just craziness. And, you know, I fixed a lot of his kids' teeth, and it's kind of like, you're like, it's just what it is, and you can tell them, but, you know. And I, I would argue for the first-generation uh, immigrants, that would be a huge difference because right. they're they're used to a different uh, childhood themselves yes. where this was not an issue. I would argue that mm-hmm. if you look at uh, our minorities, that uh, second or third generation, then they actually come in line with uh, all the white people. I, I think mm-hmm. then, then it becomes uh, more uh, uniform. But for people that have just immigrated, that as you said, they are used to not having a pediatrician or a pediatric dentist available. Mm-hmm. They just have a different set of expectations. Right. And you, know, and, you, and you look at the population where almost everybody has nice straight teeth now, younger people. I mean, it, it's it's something out there that... Everybody wants braces, even people that don't need them. Everybody wants a white smile. Everybody, you know, you see it on all, it's the media is crazy about it. Uh, And, you know, it's, well, how do you get that? Well, you get it by preventing all of that stuff. And that's, you know, been the goal from day one when Dr. Max said, hey, do you want to come on board? I was like, man, would I love to talk to everybody early and let's get this part of the culture, at least in the Reno area. Well, that's interesting, Dr. Max, that that's become the public health campaign. Have a white smile and you'll get the right job and the right person and the right love life and the right everything. And it uh, the, the sort of uh, unintended consequence of that may be that people take better care of their teeth. So one of the <laughs> things that... Um, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. There's our, there's our public health campaign. So what I've, um, what I've learned today, which is fabulous, is... To sort of paraphrase what we've been talking about is that you can use fluoride, you can uh, brush your teeth until the cows come home, but it really is about that diet and those carbohydrates, mm-hmm. and it all comes back to that. It really does. And isn't that interesting that it's as simple and as complex as that? Exactly. And prioritizing, you know, thinking about oral health and your teeth as something that is as important as diabetes, as important yes. as staying yes. out of the sun. I mean, so we, you know, in the, in the old days, when I'm sure, uh, Gilbert, when, you went, when I grew up, you were in the sun the whole time. There was no awareness of the risk. So if you can do that for the skin, for sure we can do the same thing for the mouth. I'm, exactly. I'm That's a great analogy. 
give you props for that here, one. Yeah, I like we, that. we should all team up on a public health little campaign here. I think we'd do great. So let me ask you in the few minutes that we have left, what is your goal for 2020? Um, Dr. Max, let's talk about renowned Children's Hospital. Um, you're the chair of pediatrics at the medical school. What do you want to see happen for this in 2020? What are what are just a couple of goals that you have? And then, Dr. Trujillo, I'd like to ask you. Related to oral health or yes. related to the world as a whole? Oh, well, let's just stick with okay, oral well, health. Okay, oral health, I am... <laughs> That's another podcast if yeah. you want to come back on. So, Dr. Trujillo just joined uh, as division chief, and I would love to see an expansion of the exposure of medical students, because that's a reality. We know that we can do that. Um uh, deep in my heart, we are hoping to uh, have a residency program, and then I would like to make sure that dental health is part of that uh, of the training program. So for me, at the University of Children's Hospital, is how do I incorporate the the pediatric dentistry division in a in a bigger and better way? Um, at the moment, there are only three members of that division. Uh, Dr. Trujillo and I have already been talking about how do we expand that. So mm-hmm. I would love to see that division grow to, I don't know, six, ten pediatric dentists so that there is a, a greater awareness and a, and a greater exposure. So growth of something that – a blossoming of something that we seeded in 2019, that would be my goal for 2020. Fabulous. What about you, Dr. Trujillo? What would you like to see in 2020? Well, you know, this is a a real cool project for me to be on. So what I'm trying to do, uh, I'm working with the ER, uh, pediatric ER department. We're going to try to get a basically uh, a how-to when a kid comes in with dental issues. So that's one op, you know, one thing we want to do. Uh, educating the med students. I really would like to get in more with the prenatals, the OBGYNs. And, and the pediatricians and the schools. So the problem in the past has always been you contact schools, pediatricians, and they think, well, you're selling yourself. You're selling your practice, which they were right. We were all doing that. Now it, I want it to be different. I don't, you know, yes, I have my own practice, but you know, I just reached out to two more pediatric dentists in competing offices. They agreed to join, so now we're up to I think four or five of us. Um, and and what I really am looking for is for us to, because now with the medical part, t- the tie-in with the medical school and renown, now I hope we have more teeth to to infiltrate into the pediatricians Peace. and. Did you say yeah, teeth? teeth. Yes, yeah, we're going to Because you know, we we have a like my office. We have a school program where we want to go into the little ones, but a lot of times they don't want us in there because they go, "Well, we don't like advertising." Well, we're not. We we're trying to right. educate. Right. Uh, that that's the problem. But now I think because of a more of a an official tie-in to you know the, the hospital of pediatricians and all that i think now we can make it more part of the education where they kind of realize okay they're not trying to sell anything they're just trying to help help right. actually if we said nothing we'd probably be busier and richer if that's what they're worried about we're actually trying to prevent us working is what we're really trying to prevent you know if you think about it, if people followed what we said probably wouldn't need us well sure all of our goal at least mine is to be out of a job right but um i'll be 70 years old on my next birthday and i'm not i'm not out of a job Mm. we take care of low-income people and we get them health care and all we do is keep expanding in fact i was going to say at access to health care we take care of about fifteen thousand people a month and uh, they're all low income, and probably 70% are Hispanic. I would very much commit to being a part of your education and uh, sending out uh, e-blasts to our members or giving them pamphlets when they come in. Uh, let's think about that, because it really seems like it's it's all of our responsibility in this community to get this across. Oh, and that's what the Northern Nevada Dental Health Program, and that's how I met Max, is we we're kind of working on that project as well 
and that's been around for oh, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some issues with uh, another affiliation that we had aligned with, and so we're kind of restarting that. But that's going. That's a great resource when somebody really truly does not have an income and has a need. I just saw two or three patients this month that really needed help. I mean, amazingly sick children orally it, it, you know mm-hmm. I, I have to take one to the hospital um these kids are in dire need and they need help and that's kind of what our goal is well let's talk about how we can educate our community i want to thank you both for being here today um thank you for listening to our podcast for a list of future podcasts go to access to healthcare.org slash podcasts I want to thank Dr. Max Kopis, Physician-in-Chief, Renowned Children's Hospital, Chair of Pediatrics at UNR Medical School, and thank you, Dr. Trujillo, Chief of Pediatric Dentistry, UNR Medical School, and someone who's been in private practice over 20 years and sitting across from you for the last hour. I'm not terrified of you anymore. Oh, good. I'm a teddy bear. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both for coming on, and let's do this again maybe in six months or a year and just continue to educate people. Thanks for having us. Thank you Thank you very much.